Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to... This is episode two of season six. It is indeed. Thank you for joining us. In today's episode, you speak to someone who runs a magazine. I do. I speak with Robin Rosenfeld from Pip Magazine. And what's Pip Magazine? So Pip is a magazine, it's an Australian publication, Mm -hmm. that is centred on the permaculture principles. So we talk a little bit about this in today's episode, but if you haven't yet heard it, I actually spoke with Robin uh, in episode 189. Just off the top of your head, I yeah, love how you can I do that. I have an encyclopedic yeah. uh, memory of, mm. of every episode. So she and I really dug into permaculture back in that episode and the way that it really dovetails so beautifully with slow living. Mm. That's essentially what Pip Magazine is based on. In this episode, Robin and I talk about the sort of three main pillars of earth care, people care, and a fair share. PIP is built upon, but also the permaculture bases itself on. And it's just a really wonderful chat. Now, she and I actually booked this in, I'm going to say, at the end of last year, if not January of this year. And During the bushfires, really. Well, we booked it yeah. in in order to have a conversation about yeah. how things had changed due to the bushfires. Yep. Um, the the rise in community mindedness that a lot of Australians saw and mm. took part in during the bushfires, mm-hmm. and then of course coronavirus reared its ugly head, and that conversation got blown out to a global base, and that's where we found ourselves when we sat down to chat. And it couldn't have come at a better time, actually. It's really just a really uplifting, practical, realistic, helpful kind of conversation. And so while your first interview, uh, 189, was it? Yes, it was 189, 189, yeah. uh, Was focused purely on permaculture. This one delves down into some other issues as well. Yeah, we talk a lot about community Mm. and I think how so many people are being forced You know, I'm not going to say people are being forced to. A lot of people are choosing to reframe Mm -hmm. what community looks like and how they establish it, how they strengthen it and maintain community in the face of a very rapidly changing world. So we talk about that. But we also, um, Pip, Robin, has, has kids just a little bit older than ours and we have a really great conversation about what it is to parent older kids Mm. in a way that is sort of centred on sustainability and community-mindedness and, you know, slow living because that's a question. It is hard. And that's a question I'm asked a lot, right? And to a certain extent, when the kids were younger, when our kids were younger, it was easier because they just did what we said they were going to do and they ate what we – well, they didn't, but (laughs) they were served, you know, like they didn't have necessarily a very strong opinion uh, about things. One way or the other because they didn't know any different. Exactly. But as they get older, as they build their their network of friends and influences and start to really have their own point of view, often as teenagers and tweens, like that's at odds with what you value. And that is part of growing up. Mm -hmm. It's part of figuring out where you stand in the world and what you stand for. But it doesn't make it any easier as a parent because, you know, we've arrived where we are. Because we believe that it is the best way forward, you know, in terms of living more sustainably, in terms of making more earth-friendly choices, in terms of 
uh, like all the decisions, the big decisions that we make in our lives. So when your kids push back against that, it can feel a bit like you're failing. And so Robin and I have a really good conversation about that, particularly the battles that are worth fighting and the ones that aren't, you know, and the compromises that we find ourselves making that three or four years ago, I wouldn't have ever thought that I would make. Yeah. You know, so I think that that is something that a lot of people listening to will relate to at any time of yeah. the year, at any time of, yeah. you know, of life. Um, and it sort of led us into another part of the conversation because I feel like a lot of kids are walking around carrying this eco guilt that has been placed unfairly on their shoulders by world events, by previous generations not stepping up and looking yeah, after. Yeah, you, you only have to look them. at the the movements late last year around climate change yeah. and who they were led by. Absolutely. Yeah. Kids are getting real rowdy, you yeah. know, and but at the same time. The kids are getting rowdy. Good. Get rowdy. That's, uh, that's a T-shirt just there. <laughs> um, I think the... Like that's wonderful and inspiring and I love seeing it, but I also hate seeing it because they shouldn't have to be, mm. you know. And I think because the, the flip side of, of kids caring so much is that they also suffer what adults suffer, which is an enormous amount of eco guilt and anxiety and that sense of never doing enough. So Robin and I dig into that as well, not only for kids but for adults and, and what it looks like to take action and why action and hope are so intrinsically linked so that's sort of the three kind of main topics that we dig into and i want to give a shout out to what the crew over at pip magazine are doing at the moment particularly during the coronavirus crisis they're putting out a huge amount of really helpful content about living sustainably at home and staying at home to do that Lots of content about making and building and doing and growing your own. Yeah. And it's really helpful. And for me, it's, I find it really uplifting because it's something that you can do. You know, I know there are days where everything feels really hard and mm-hmm. heavy and mm. almost sort of hopeless. And then you find something like that that's like, okay, I can't fix all the world's problems. I can't even necessarily get my kids to listen to everything I say, but I can do this. I can make my own beeswax wraps today yeah. with stuff that I've got at home, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I, I really just want to tip my hat to what Robin and her team are doing mm. and encourage you, if you're not a subscriber, check them out. Since we've moved back to Australia, I resubscribed and I love it. I love getting my copy of the magazine. Are you still a contributor to that magazine? No, I don't think I ever have been. Oh, have you? No. Sorry. I would like to be though. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Robin is also recording uh, occasional podcast episodes too, which mm-hmm. are really worth a listen. Mm-hmm. So I'll link to all of that in the show notes, slowyourhome.com slash season six. But if you want to head straight to the source, pipmagazine.com.au is where you can find them. Hey, we're in our final days of registering for the Slow Beginnings hey, we online are. retreat. So there's only a few days left and... I'd encourage those that uh, are even a little bit interested uh, to head over to slowyourhome.com slash beginnings mm-hmm. to find out some more information about that. But in a nutshell, how would you describe the course? So it's a six-week online retreat, a foundation-level online retreat. And by that I mean it's for people who are wanting to slow down in their lives but not knowing where to start or for people who had been living 
according to like slow living philosophy or according to their values, but have found themselves slipping back into those old, well-worn tracks of, you know, maybe habits that they don't love. Good old habits. Good old habits. And they want to find a new way forward. So it's it's for anyone curious about starting the journey of slow living mm-hmm. or looking for a group of like-minded people and accountability um, in which to move forward. And during those six weeks, they get a weekly conversation with you. Yeah. They get uh, meditation. Yes. And they also get yoga classes. They do. And so there's a, a weekly lesson and homework tasks and journaling prompts and, as you said, yoga, meditation, and my personal favorite part of the whole retreat, which is our Friday video calls, where you all get to sit down, chat, talk through challenges and obstacles mm. that uh, you know that we're facing as we work through that week's material. And each week is themed, so all the material relates to that theme. Yeah. And then it comes together in a, in a final assessment. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely no pass or fail on this particular retreat. Uh, but you do have access to all of the content from the retreat for as long as it exists on the internet. Yep. So all the videos, workbook, PDFs, everything will be yours to keep at the end of the retreat. And I know that there are people who took the retreat last year who are, they continue to work through that material now. And that was almost eight months ago. Mm. So I love that. I love that there's longevity in it. And it, I genuinely mean it when I say there is no obligation to keep up with the timetable uh, of the retreat or anything like that. It's yours to have and to work through at your own pace. Yeah. So final few days to sign up for that, head over to slowyourhome.com slash beginnings. So we start on April the 26th, 2020, Sunday, April 26th. Uh, If you're listening to this episode after that date and are keen to find out about possible future retreats, just make sure you're on my slow post email list. Mm -hmm. So you can head over to the website, slowyourhome.com. And at the top, you can see slow Slow post. post. Yeah, hit the slow post button and you will receive my Friday weekly slow living love letters, and I will always let my slow post people know first about the retreat. Awesome. But for now, enjoy Pip Magazine's Robin Rosenfeld. Robin, hello. How are you? Good. Thanks, Brooke. How are you going? So good. So um, good. Actually, I am good. A bit discombobulated, but good. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy times we're living in, isn't it? It is crazy times. So just to give a bit of context, we're recording this a couple of months probably before it will be released, but Essentially, we're, we're chatting as in the developing stages of the coronavirus situation, mm. the pandemic. Um, so it's what the middle of March. When I booked this chat with you, it was the maybe sometime in January. And I had in mind that we were going to talk about sustainable living and permaculture in a crisis, thinking, of course, that that crisis would be the bushfires. Now we've got a second crisis that's sort of followed mm. on its heels. And I actually think that our conversation is even better timed now. Yeah. So, you know, if you're happy to to dive right in, I think we've got lots that we can talk about. Yeah, we do, definitely. (laughs) Uh, We actually had to stop ourselves from sort of having this conversation before we hit record because I was so keen to sink my teeth into it. Um, (laughs) Now, I I don't know about you, but I feel like the past few months, particularly in Australia, but, I, you know, globally as well, I've seen so many people start to rethink the way we live the way we define mm. community, the way we connect. 
Is that something that you've seen yourself and also in, you know, the, the wider permaculture community? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, in our local community, we've been in our wider local community in the Bega Valley Shire, we've been really heavily affected by the fires. So where I live, fortunately, it didn't come to our town, but, you know, we're in close proximity to Cabago, Korma, um, a lot of towns that were really, really badly affected. And, yeah, it has meant that we have had to rethink how things are happening. And particularly here, um, I think it was either just before, yeah, it was just before New Year's or just after, they just sent everybody home. So we're a tourist town. And the whole area was just cleared. Roads were blocked. All the roads in and out of the valley were blocked. And suddenly there was the thought, where does our food come from? Mm-hmm. How do we get it in here? And we're really reliant on the big cities, which is six and eight hours away, for our food to come in. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about for years and, you know, we need to start working on. But then it was like, wow, this is actually happening. And now, you know, a couple of few months later, again, with the uh, coronavirus, we're seeing all those supermarket shelves empty out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, soon there'll be problems with supply chains and I mean at the moment it's just because everyone's panic buying but there will be a point where things might not be getting through and getting trucked around anymore and that's when we really need to start thinking about how can we as communities and as households start being more self-sufficient and Mm self-reliant and yeah it doesn't mean each individual has to do everything themselves like in that true sense of self-sufficiency which is pretty impossible really yeah it's about as communities, how can we support one another? How can we grow food between us to support us and, yeah, make those connections so that we can support each other? It must be interesting for you, like you said, as someone who's been immersed in the, the whole permaculture movement for years, um, mm. to to see this need for it go from something that was kind of theoretical almost, I mean, the reasons for permaculture have always existed and I think the the reason that permaculture has become more part of the conversation and becoming more of a mainstream idea is because we're, we're recognising the weaknesses of our current system but mm. all of a sudden like the actual need for it became a very real situation. Mm. Yeah, The suddenness of that I think for, for people is what was so kind of shocking that Mm. all of a sudden, like you said, facing the very real questions of where does our food come from? (laughs) You know, Mm. what can we do if all of these roads stay shut for months? I know for me, and and particularly with this, the the coronavirus thing as well, it's so much more widespread and it's kind of hitting many countries, not just sort of fire affected areas or, um, you know, something more localized. I think the recognition that sustainability and self-sufficiency um, is important, is starting to come home to rest. But the problem is the majority of people have not spent the time thinking about it. So where do we start? Yeah, because the thing is if you've already got the knowledge and you're doing it a little bit, then like you might know how to make bread but you don't get around to it very often or you might grow a bit of food but you've been a bit slack lately. Or But now's the time you can just go, right, bang, I'm going to start making bread again. I, I know how to make bread. I know how to make a lot of the basics that I need in life if I can't go to the shop and buy it, you know. You can go out and just start getting, really getting into your veggie garden that's already there. Then if there is none of that knowledge and none of that and you're just starting from scratch, I mean, there's heaps of information out there. So like on our website, we have hundreds of blog posts all about 
how to make butter, how to grow different plants, how to start a veggie garden. And you, you just have to Google that. And I guess now people are having a bit more time mm. to, if they are having to self-confine, they've got the time now to spend that time to plant it. Maybe not if you haven't got a garden at all, but just even planting a few leafy greens and lettuces in your garden. If you can get seedlings, although I heard today from someone in Melbourne, you can't get seedlings anywhere. So, ah. But at least people are thinking about that. Like up here, I haven't noticed that. People are actually going, quick, I've got to get all the seedlings in so I can start growing my own food. <laughs> I wonder, I mean, I've, I've got lots of theories and they're just my theories. They're not based on anything other than what ifs. But I wonder if that will be one of the silver linings, you know, that people are forced to think about about these questions of, you know, food security and stuff. But even once things settle down, as I imagine they will in several months, um, like this becomes our new normal, you know, starting mm. to think much more about uh, our role to play in our community mm. and, and building that sufficiency. Um, I know that you and I spoke about in the first conversation we had on the podcast, which was back in 2017. Um, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes so people can have a listen. And that's really where we dug into like the basics of permaculture and, and your story. But we did talk a lot about how self-sufficiency sort of has a branding problem in that everyone's like, I need to make it all myself. And, you know, yeah. I love your focus on community. So mm. I th- I do think that a lot of people are isolated because of technology, because of work hours, because of the way our towns and cities are designed and developed to not necessarily encourage connection. How important is getting out and talking to people? It's really important, but unfortunately at the moment we're not, well, we can at the moment, but soon it's going to be don't go out. And so connect. true. I just, like, I just I can, painted myself into a corner. Oh, well, I, should, I should run some free courses, you know, come yep. and how to start a veggie garden and it's like, oh, no, but I can't. Like, So we, we are actually looking at doing some online Facebook streams or something because, yeah, yeah at the moment that, that connection's difficult. But, yeah, what, what is important is, I mean, with permaculture, how it maybe differs from just, you know, organic gardening and what makes it not just about gardening is it's the three ethics that underpin what permaculture is, which is earth care, people care and fair share. So I think that's what is important at this mm. time. So. It's about caring for your neighbours and, you know, making sure that, you know, they know that you're able to help them if they need it. And and the fair share thing, I mean, this is what's been missed in this whole shopping, panic, buying, is people have forgotten that idea of fair share yeah. and they're just going, right, I'm going to run out, so I'm just going to get as much as I can. Yeah, that crisis kind of wouldn't be happening if everyone was thoughtful of, on that level and just taking what they needed. Yes. But it, it self-perpetuates because people then go into the shop and think, oh, there's none of that left or it's nearly run out. I better grab a couple extra in case. And then so it just gets worse and worse. So I think if we can stick to those things of thinking about each other and thinking about the community rather than the individual, mm-hmm. I've got to have everything. I've got to have everything in my cupboard so that I don't run out. Yeah, and it, it sort of it flies in the face of the – society that we tend we seem to have developed over the last sort of 10 or 15 years like this rise of individualism you know Mm. it's really taking a concerted effort for a lot of people to look at this as an opportunity to do the right thing for others you know to 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 Mm. operate a little bit more altruistically and a little bit more generously by saying I'll take what I need and no more so that my neighbors can take what they need 
Um, and it, re- it really does. And I, I can see that struggle playing out in people of, mm. like you said, you know, you walk in, you're like, oh, there's not many of this thing that I need, one of left, I'm going to grab five just in case. Mm. Yeah, we're, there's a lot of mental gymnastics that people are having to do, I think, to to remember that they're part of something bigger. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of want to take that and and pivot a little bit because one of the other questions I get asked about a lot with, particularly as we've started talking about sustainability and things more, is from people with older kids, sort of kids in their sort of tweens to teens. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit of an expert on that one at the moment. Good. All right. So <laughs> right you've got you. Yeah. Where are you at with this? So yeah, I've got um, an eight-year-old, an eleven-year-old, and a thirteen-year-old. Okay. Right. So yeah, when they're little, you know, you get go to op shops and get their clothes, and you get hand-me-downs, and they wear these crazy, funky outfits of all these mismatched things, and you know, you make all the food from scratch, and they happily eat it and think it's great, and. Yeah, and then, then as they get happens. older, they're like, Mum, do I have to have that at school? None of my friends have got that. Everyone else has got stuff in packets and why am I having to eat this muffin, you know? Yep. And first it started, you know, I was trying to make healthy muffins without sugar. So the first thing was then I started putting just sugar in so yep. that made them a bit happy. It was like, this hasn't even got sugar in, Mum. It's got honey. <laughs> and then it got to the point they just didn't want that at all. and yeah, you end up, and I think over the years I've got in, into a better place about how I feel about that. But yeah, to begin with, I just was torn, really torn because I have all these ideals and all these ways that I want to live. And then my kids just did not want to do it. And to put it into context, yeah, my kids just go to the local school. They're not homeschooled. They're not going to an alternative school. So they're not – I think if you're homeschooling, you have much more control over it mm. and potentially at an alternative school where you're with like-minded people who also share those – are coming to school with their food in honeybee wraps and their homemade muffins and, you know. <laughs> but the general population, it's – yeah, they have all sorts of influences and mm-hmm. that's what happens in life too. So, I mean, you know, it's it's a good thing. But so to, to begin with, I just was feeling really – hypocritical because on the one hand you know I'm trying to do this live this life but then my kids were just hating some of those things that I was doing and enforcing on them because they just wanted to fit in and for a lot of kids they do they just want to fit in they don't want to be the one in the playground with the weird thing that you know it started off with olives and dolmatis they used to have them at school it's like mom I really don't want to have dolmatis because they smell and no one wants to sit next to me when I eat (laughs) So, of course, you're not going to force that, you know, and then olives, although their friends came around with the olives and then they all wanted to eat their olives too. Right. See, so there's but, like um, there's silver linings there, you know, they get to be the kid who introduces their friends to new ideas yeah. as well. But, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a really difficult thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, as a parent, I can see things like traits in my kids that they don't like about themselves or that they struggle with and or, or you know, values of ours as family that if – I can encourage them to kind of hold on to those things through those years of high school where all you want to do is fit in. If mm. they can hold on to what seems like a quirk or what seems like a, a negative difference in them mm. the next few years, you know that it's going to hold them in good stead. But that's yeah. all, that's self-discovery. Like you can't do that for them, unfortunately. No, no. And the thing is, I mean, often if you do just 
stand strong and keep eating that thing. People come around and they want to be like that too. But that can be hard when you're, you know, a young kid who's, yeah, if they really don't want to do something and you're making them, it's just going to make them really resent the whole idea of it. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, the point I came to was I just gave up on certain things, you know, like not gave up, but it's like, okay, I can, we can get some muesli bars, you know, and yes, they come and they're in a plastic packet and, you know, I really hate that and that's, and I fought against it and I tried making muesli bars. I just, it doesn't sit well with me, but I think you have to find a balance there Mm. where, you know, I mean, some kids are right up for it and they want to keep doing it and other kids just want to try different things. So I think there's a balance to getting that right. Yeah. It sort of highlights the need to, I guess, give yourself permission to not win every battle. You know, like what hill am I worth? Am I, am I prepared to die on? Like is, is a muesli bar hill the hill? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> or is it, exactly. you know, something a little bit bigger and, that's that's going to have a closing two is a really difficult one. Like yeah. I was saying, when they're young, my girls love, we're really, really into their outfits and into these quirky kind of things. Whereas now when you get, they're older, yeah, it's harder to go into an op shop and find exactly what you want. Yeah. You know, they want shorts that are a certain type or jeans and a T-shirt and they're not finding that at the op shop. So, you know. I am buying clothes and we don't have a huge range of clothing shops here. So, yeah, I buy things that, again, I don't really agree with. But mm-hmm. And I talk to them about it when That's I do. That's what I was going to say, say, yeah. This, this is too cheap. This should cost more. Like think about how it was made. Like the cotton has to be grown. The farmer needs to be paid. Then it needs to be harvested. Then it needs to be turned into cotton. Then it needs to be made into a T-shirt. Then it needs to be shipped here. Then the shop it's being sold in has to make a profit. How on earth can they sell that T-shirt for that price? Yeah, They're aware of that and they do know that, but there aren't a lot of options for them. So they've got that awareness and that understanding. And I think in life, as they grow up, they've got those values behind them and they will make their own choices as they grow up. And for now, this is what they're choosing to do and they're aware of it, but sometimes the need for what they want overweighs those ideals yeah it's also sort of reflective of the much bigger um issues of of like uh, and this is something else i wanted to talk to you about was this idea of of eco-anxiety that so many of us are struggling Mm. with it's sort of because we've all shouldered the responsibility personally of a system that is broken you know and when you can't find an alternative that is fitting your values and you're sort of mm. forced to take part in this system that you're not in support of, it's really mm. difficult to come to grips with, you know, particularly yeah. because for the vast majority of people, our time and our finances aren't infinite. So it's yeah. not like we can yeah. make everything from scratch or source like a $400 organic T-shirt or like whatever it yeah. is, you know. That your child's going to spill food exactly. down the front of and rip within a week. Exactly. <laughs> like there's reality at play as well, you yeah. know. So kind of introducing the kids to this idea of, yeah, you're right, it's not good enough. Um, we're doing what we can from where we are to mm. to combat it. But at the same time, the, I guess the reason the system needs to be shaken up or that we need to protest or we need to, to shift is because there is no viable alternative and that's yeah. the problem, isn't it? Yeah. And one thing I think is quite good is engaging kids on their level, so with apps and things like that. Yeah. So with clothing there's the Good On You app. Yes. Which you can put in any brand and it says it gives them a rating and says, 
where they need to improve. Um, so letting them look up and say, "What? It, let's look up the company. This is what you want to buy. Let's have a look and see. Mm. And um, also there's the Palm Oil app where you can go into a supermarket and scan the barcode of any product and it comes up and says if there's palm oil in it. Interesting. And my kids love doing that. I mean, not every product shows up, but it kind of engages them in a way that they enjoy and they can actually relate to. Mm. And then that also, I think, gives um, give same applies to adults. It allows us to make incremental improvements. So like yeah. this week, we don't buy that product with palm oil in it. We find an alternative. That's an improvement. You're like you can't yeah. go from all to nothing overnight. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. feasible. Same with clothing and that sort of stuff. Like if you can make one more positive choice, that's a really good lesson, I think, that, yeah. that those changes add up. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the thing with the guilt factor. There's something that's really irking you or really making you feel uncomfortable. Look at that thing and say, okay, well, what can I actually do about it? Mm. Rather than looking at everything, mm-hmm. maybe just choose one thing and say, okay, let's try and change this. It's just one thing, whether it's yeah, packaging on food or whether it's clothing or whether it's palm oil or whatever it is that, that you're feeling bad about and start like that. And then when you've had success with that one thing, then you feel good about it mm. and then you can be inspired to maybe make one more change. And the other thing is to look back in time too. Like sometimes you think, oh, I'm not actually doing that much. I could be. I should be doing this and this and this and this. Maybe look back five years and think about how your life's changed since then. You go, well, five years ago I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing that. I was, and you can actually see that you've actually made heaps of those little yeah. changes along the way that all add up. And we're all on a journey. Like, there's very few people. I mean, there's no one who's living a hundred percent the perfect existence. And it also the other thing with social media and stuff like that's easy to sort of follow certain people who seem to be doing everything so perfectly (laughs) and go, oh, God, you know. But then often when they're doing that one thing really perfectly, they might not be doing other things perfectly or they might not be doing a certain job that you're doing that's taking up lots of time. So, yeah, I think it's really important not to compare yourself too much with other people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that social media can be great for – spreading information and ideas and, and inspiration. Exactly. But inspiration is great to a point because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise then it sort of becomes this comparisonitis, you know, and I've often found myself having to unfollow certain profiles or kind of yeah. mute them for a while because they, with their, their virtue and their earnestness, they make yeah. me feel really bad about myself, yeah, yeah. you know, and I, I, I'm not going to ever say, can you not be so great at this because I think it's important that people can <laughs> see what's possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, we need to understand that as consumers of social media, we are allowed to step back away from these these mm. profiles that maybe make us feel like our efforts aren't good enough for a while. Mm. And I think yeah. go, kind of going back to kids, that's also really important for them to see us modelling that behaviour, you mm. know, not to just dive headfirst into something, you know, a topic, a, a change, a, a movement that we're really passionate about and then allow ourselves to be kind of buffeted by all of the, the things that we're not doing properly. Yeah, yeah, and to get burnt out. Exactly. Yeah, you can also end up feeling, you know, you're trying to run your business, you're trying to look after your kids and spend quality time with them, you're trying to grow food in the garden, you're trying to make everything from scratch, you're trying to have some self-time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and 
there's actually maybe not enough hours in the day to do all of those things properly. So, you know, we need to be kind on ourselves. It's just like you wouldn't sort of turn to a friend and say, well, you know, you're not doing this, 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 this. Like you'd be really understanding and you'd say, of course, don't, don't, you shouldn't feel bad about it. Look but at all the things you are doing. Yeah, We don't do that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can be really harsh on ourselves. So I think, yeah, that's really important to just be kind to yourself and realise yeah. that you're doing a lot of stuff especially when you've got kids and you're working and that's huge. It is. And that, that relates so perfectly to people care as well. I mean, people, yeah. we are people, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's really important to, to allow yourself that compassion that you would yeah. share with other people. And I think that we're often the last person that we give that to. Yeah. Well, I actually just wrote an article in issue 16 of PIP about, zone zero zero so in permaculture we talk about zones and you have zone zero is the home zone one is the immediate area around the home where you might have your herbs and veggies growing zone two you might have your chickens and your compost and it goes out until you get to the wilderness sort of area and then zone zero zero is the self so often we spend all this time caring for the environment caring for the community caring for people And we don't actually care for ourselves. Mm. So if we don't actually stop and take that time for ourselves to look after ourselves, then we get burnt out and then we can't do all these other things that we're doing. So it's actually really important to take that time if you can. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, whether it's a five-minute walk or, you know, I mean, some people have the luxury to be able to do more than others. But, you know, if it's just going away maybe for a weekend or a night or just taking a little bit of time for yourself really enables you to do so much more, I think. Well, it does. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. It sort of comes into play with the book that I'm working on at the moment, but, you know, the relationship between self-care um, and not in like a, you know, hey, let's buy a $50 face mask kind of self-care, but, you know, yeah. actually caring for yourself in a way yeah. that you would other people. And it's the relationship between that and world care. And I don't think that you can get to that point where you're giving as much as you want to unless you've actually taken the time to look after yourself in a very mm. real, supportive, like loving, yeah. compassionate kind of way. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't see that conversation happening enough. You know, I feel like mm. self-care has become very commoditized. And, again, nothing wrong with any of those things, but is it really caring for you in the way that you need is it really supporting you and filling you up and making you feel loved in that way that you're able to then go and share that with Mm. your other zones I guess as you as you explained I really like that idea zone zero Mm. zero Mm. so kind of tying the conversation up between kids and eco anxiety and guilt then I mean, first of all, do your kids talk to you about being concerned for the future? And I mean, how did they kind of cope with the the bushfires? They are aware of what's going on in the world. And yeah, I mean, with the fires, yeah, it was very front and centre. I mean, we evacuated quite a few times and I mean, they were pretty okay with that. It was kind of fun for them. (laughs) We went and stayed at a friend's place and another time we stayed at a caravan park and we kind of made it a, a fun thing. But, yeah, as far as worrying about the world, I mean, they see these videos and like when there were those fires in the Amazon, you know, my one of my daughters was particularly concerned about that. And when they do have a concern, then you can sort of bring that back to, well, this is what we need to be doing yeah. so that, you know, we can help stop those things happening and maybe not buying 
McDonald's burgers might help that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, not that I'd buy them, but, yeah, sometimes actually explaining that cause and effect. When people, are, when we or people are doing these sorts of things, these are the problems that end up with. Because, yeah. yeah, any, I mean, everyone sees things like that or turtles with straws up their noses or all the rubbish in the ocean. I mean, that affects everyone and kids especially. So I think it's using that as an opportunity to say, hey, here's an alternative. Maybe we should try and do this and then we're not going to be contributing to that. So, yeah, I guess it's finding things that speak to them and their concerns and then using that as a point to say, well, this is an opportunity, Mm. this is something else we could do rather than just sort of going on at them all the time about that's the other thing. We don't want to put the weight of the world on their shoulders. Exactly, yeah. It's not their fault that, you know, like with the clothes thing, like I I don't want to go on to them too much about all of that because they just want a (laughs) T-shirt. They don't want to be wearing the guilt and the weight of, you know, this industrialised system that we live in. Mm. They didn't have any hand in creating it, you know, that's not theirs to, to bear. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to put it all on them and make them feel responsible for it either. They need to have a childhood where they can grow up and yeah, you show them the good things in life and the good ways that things are and you know, if they're doing things that want to do things that aren't all fitting in with that, well, that's okay. Mm. You know, they'll they'll grow into adults and if you're modeling it in your own life and your own choices, then they see that even if they're not involved with that, even if they don't want to come and garden with you, but they see you in the garden and growing things and picking things. You know, maybe that's enough. Mm. And I think I do think that at some on some levels, uh, particularly when you know we're stressing out that our kids aren't making like the right choices or whatever, we're we're really our expectations of them are too high as well. Yeah. You know, we're sort of expecting maybe a documentary about you know the fashion industry or whatever to have as catastrophic an impact on them as it does on us whereas I mean they're kids and as you say they don't understand that cause and effect they don't understand that by you know continuing to support company x you're taking part in this system which is resulting in you know these these horrible outcomes like yes we can have a conversation that's age appropriate with them I guess about maybe this is why we're not going to use straws anymore uh, and you kind of pick our battles based on the things that are important to them. But I just think that by expecting our kids to recognise, you know, that what's broken in the world is is really asking a lot. Um, and instead, as you say, talking to them about the things that are important to them and using that as motivation to shift their choices um, as opposed to our directives, um, you know, over time will result in kids knowing their mind a lot more and being able to make decisions themselves a lot more effectively than if we were just telling them what to do all the time. Yeah, and they're not just going to rebel against what we're doing. Exactly. They can take that on and they're they're going to decide what they want to do. And then, I mean, I know a lot of people who have grown up and their kids have now grown up. They have grown up in this sort of self-sufficiency permaculture lifestyle, Mm. for want of a better description. Yeah, and they went off into the world and a lot of them come back again. Yeah. Once they're older, maybe late 20s, 30s. And they go, oh, actually, it kind of makes sense how you lived. Like, and they want to do it, but they've got to find that themselves. And that maybe they don't take that choice. But yeah. yeah, I think we can't force kids to do anything. It's like we're saying, let's not be hard on ourselves and expect too much. Well, <laughs> even more so, let's not do that to our kids. Exactly. Because I mean, then on the other, like the other kind of flip side of that as well would be, 
you know, they often say that the the voice we use with our children is the voice that becomes their inner voice, you know. So yeah. if we're telling them that their decisions aren't good enough or that, you know, the, the things that they're willing to sacrifice aren't important enough or they're making the wrong choice with the thing, that's going to become how they speak to themselves. And I, I don't want to raise a kid, a generation of kids who are constantly doubting their value or whether or not they're doing things yeah. right. Or giving themselves a hard time about exactly. every little action. Yeah. You know, and that that's where I think the like the paralysis and the that overwhelming sense of guilt will really start to play out. And I don't want that to be my legacy to the kids. We can show them what action looks like, you know, or critical thinking and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, and show them what we do in our own lives and what choices we make, yeah. which they just see. Yeah, exactly. Without trying to necessarily push all of that onto them and make them do exactly the same. Yeah, it was interesting actually. I mean, over the summer we obviously had a lot of conversations about the environment, like just my husband and I, um, about the environment and you know what we can do and what's not being done and all that kind of stuff and tried to not involve the kids in that really because I don't want them to, to have this high level of anxiety if it's unnecessary um, but one day one of our kids came out and she'd written a like a letter to our local member of parliament and she'd written one to the prime minister and stuff. And they they made me cry because they were so full of hope rather than anger or blame or fear. You know, I feel like that's the way that we can encourage our kids to take control of their voice and their power and step into that, but not in a way that's like you now have to act like an adult because <laughs> you don't, you know, you're a kid and you get to be a kid. Playing the dirt. <laughs> exactly exactly keep things as simple as possible for as long as possible you know let us sort some stuff out and like look after our own choices first as well it's very this is something I learned way back in the day when I first started my whole simplifying journey with decluttering someone told me uh you know because I'm like well everyone else's stuff is the problem and he said mm, maybe just like look twice at your own stuff first and, and recognize how much of it is yours and how much you can do to alleviate it. So then only then maybe have a conversation with someone else about, you know, all of their stuff. And it was the most helpful piece of advice, actually, because it was so easy for me to try and point the finger at other people um, to alleviate my own kind of frustration so yeah and sometimes you hear that voice in some people's messaging that judgmental voice of the other yeah so this is how we live live and this is how other people live yes and I find that distasteful because yeah. I think it's kind of saying well we're better than everyone else because we're doing all this and look at all these people that aren't doing this yeah and I mean we're all on a journey and we're all on different phases of that journey and everyone's got different influences of why they can live like this, why they can't live like that. And I think, yeah, it's really important not to judge other people because you never ever know what's going on behind the scenes for people. People are trying to do their best. They Exactly. And I think that, you know, that all comes back again to compassion and if we can extend that to people and empathy and kind of try and understand that everyone's journey is different, everyone's influences, everyone's accessibility is different. None of it's wrong, you know, none of it's, none of it's um, worthy of, of finger pointing or judgment. I think we're going to get a lot further down the path if everyone acts with that sort of mindset. And, you know, if you want to act, live a great life, a, well, not a great life, but a life that is very sustainable and you're doing the right thing, well, that just 
if you just do that in your own way, then that may inspire other people. But starting to make comments to people and, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. And you hear it a lot with people that don't have kids. Like you can tell they're judging you for what you're doing. Because, yeah, I mean, before before you have kids, there's this you can make your decisions, you can have your ideologies and your ideals and live by it. Yeah. But then suddenly <laughs> that just gets thrown out the window. It's and, totally different. And, and, and Yeah, exactly. And I don't think, I mean, I was a perfect parent before I had kids. Yeah. <laughs> Never do. No, my kids will never have lollies. No. No, never. No, no, no. No plastic, no screens, no nothing. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I think, again, it's interesting to me how many of these things just come back to compassion or like one of those principles of people care. Care is also just offering people the acceptance and the non-judgment and allowing them, yeah. giving people permission to try. Um, yeah. And just having that knowledge out there. So that's kind of what we're trying to do with the magazine is yeah. just put the information out there for people and inspiration. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. Maybe I'll do that now. Maybe I can't do that now. But it's an idea. Yeah. And then like, well, I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's that you can make your own cheese and maybe you don't do it for 10 years. But you originally heard that that was a possibility. Then when you do decide you want to make your own bread, you can go and find it mm-hmm. and that information is there. So it's kind of just about sharing that experience and information and all of those things with people so that when they want to know, they can find out about it. Yeah. Um, since we've been back in Australia, I've resubscribed to Pip. And can I just tell you how much I love it? It's like wow. my, the happiest day when I get a magazine. <laughs> Truly, it's just you've That's just nailed the um, like it's invitational and it's accessible and it's very human and it's very heart centered almost the way that you put it all together. There's obviously a huge amount of love and passion in it. Um, so anyone who's listening who is interested at all in anything we've spoken about today, go and check out pipmagazine.com.au. Um, now, before we head off, if you had one piece of encouragement, or one practical shift, something that anyone listening today um, who is in the depths of, you know, maybe the coronavirus crisis or or some other kind of overwhelming sense of the world is, is too much, mm. what would you, what would that be? Well, I think maybe learn a new skill. So something that can help you not be so reliant on the system, maybe, and something that you might sort of feel a bit uncomfortable about being reliant on the system. So maybe it is making bread. Maybe it's learning how to grow some food. Maybe it's learning how to crochet. Whatever kind of speaks to you that is something you would like to learn, just make a little bit of time to just go out and learn one new skill and start implementing that into your life. It might even be how to make your own toothpaste. One simple skill, go out and learn it. You can feel good about that accomplishment. And then if you're inspired from there, then maybe you want to learn another one and slowly you can expand those skills and that knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. My own anecdotal uh, example of that, I learnt to crochet last year. Oh, yeah. um, And I'm really not very good at it. I'm still trying to crochet a baby (laughs) blanket for my nephew who will probably be 21 before I give it to him. I just can't get the count right. But anyway, I practiced and learnt by crocheting dishcloths out of just like just cotton twine. And it's been so enjoyable because A, I've learnt to do something that I've always wanted to be able to do. But B, I keep my family in 
uh, in supply of these organic cotton dishcloths right. that they can compost when, you know, they fall apart in a couple of years' time. And it's awesome, awesome. because that sort of has this ripple effect that I didn't actually expect when I first started. So uh, there's heaps of tutorials online if anyone's, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing. Anything you want to know how to do, <laughs> someone will have a video telling you how to do it. <laughs> 100%, totally. Yeah. Robin, thank you so much for your time today oh, and for sharing. You. It's been fantastic chatting with you. Yeah, I've enjoyed having a chat too. No, it's been awesome. Um, take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Take care, everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. Everyone take care of yourself and someone else. <laughs> Who is that? Hi, Papa.